Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse podcast. Sitting here with Chris Watkins. It, you know, we're kind of doing a w- Watkins and Whitey, Whitey and Watkins show here. You know, shout out to Whitey Gleason. Bro, um, you've been waiting to pull that I one have. out for so long now. <laughs> I have. I'm glad you finally got it off. Yeah, I needed to, bro. You know, yeah. um, but thanks for thanks for hopping on, Chris. It's been a sec yes, since I've I done a King's you. Pulse. I actually took an off season and obviously started working with you and Frankie and, yeah. Emil and the guys at Sacktown Sports 1140. So pretty hyped about that, but was just getting some things straight. King's Pulse back here to stay. But how you feeling, Chris? Love to hear it. I'm, I'm glad as a uh, proud listener of the King's oh, Pulse yeah. podcast, I am uh, I'm very glad that uh, that it's here to stay. And I feel you on taking the off season, man. Uh, as you know, me and Frankie record a podcast as well. And uh, I, I'll use that term record liberally because we we've barely we, we've we've been pretty much uh, not forced because that makes it sound like a chore. But <laughs> we have had to like make it an appointment to try and record during the summer. And uh, I, I know how tough it is, but yeah, I'm glad, you know, it's just it, the, the basketball seasons here. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a perfect time to come back. You know, you didn't miss anything. It is the time to do it for sure. And yeah. you're talking about return of the roar. I am also going to be on return of the roar. Yes, talking are. to Frank earlier today. I think we're hoping for a little later this week, but uh, we will coordinate with you okay. and see if we can get it to work. Okay. But we are officially done with training camp and into the preseason for the Sacramento Kings. And the main new additions are Chris Duarte, Sasha Vizenkov, and JaVale McGee being the three highlights and the three guys that they're, you know, in a way replacing Terrence Davis, Chemezi Metu, and who am I missing? I guess Namiya Keda. I uh, guess. Yeah. yeah, throw Keda in there. Why not? Yeah. So little bit of a new roster and you've been keeping up with training camp got to go to a couple of them yeah i'm gonna throw it to you pretty vague to start like what were some of the things that have stood out to you from you know a little bit of media availability we've seen so far and in some of this training camp yeah i mean really it's uh on, on media day specifically the thing that stuck out and i've been saying it since is just the fact that they're they're approaching this season like just like it's business, like, like they're ready to take care of business. And there's like a very, um, I don't want to say serious because it's not like, you know, they're, they're really, you know, intense or anything like that, but they're, they just very much understand what, what, what is going to be asked of them this season. They know that everything that they're going to take is going to be earned. And, and to me, I think that really, I'm, you know, Sasha Vazenkov has been saying it every single day, but it really does feel like, they're taking every day to get better. And and it seems like that's kind of been the big theme that I've taken is, is, you know, they're not, there's no wholesale changes of the offense or anything like that, but um, they're really expanding upon what they were trying to do last year. And I think uh, just build upon the success and in, in the foundation that they really built last year. It's top eight guys in total minutes are all back. And it's going to be a lot of the same, you know, they're adding new wrinkles to their offense, obviously, and those will take a little bit of adjusting, but it's very free flowing. Same as last year. There's really no reason to change much, just add to it. So that way teams don't know what to expect. Keep them on their toes a little bit. Defensively, it's just physicality. Like I can't tell you how many times we've heard the word physicality going back to to summer league. Even Luke Laux was talking about it like crazy Mm -hmm. during summer league and saying, this isn't just a summer league thing. Like we are starting this now because we want this to translate into the regular season and we'll see how much that helps. Right. Like they're talking about on both ends of the floor, but specifically hoping that this makes a difference defensively. But again, your top eight is the exact same. And, you know, maybe Duarte or Sasha or JaVale breaks into that. Right. But, you know, what do you make of a lot of the bet on how they're going to improve defensively being physicality? They showed that, when they did that, it was okay against the Warriors, right? Their yeah. their postseason defense was a lot better than their regular season. But yeah, what do you think is realistic expectations for defensive growth when that's what their approach is and so many of the same guys? Yeah, it's really tough. I mean, I, I still think that the easiest way to get better on defense is bringing in people who are better defenders and and have a better defending profile. You know, you still don't – you look at this roster and while, yes, they did get – 
bigger in the sense of they they have a guy like JaVale McGee now and and you know they bring back Alex Len and Alex Len told us on media day that he has heard or expects that that the Kings will run two bigs in in some lineups this year so I think in general they're they're hoping to be bigger but there's still none of those 6869 guys who you know the Jaden McDaniels of of the world that you and I are always uh you know oogling after and and those guys still don't really exist on those on this roster and I feel like until they really get somebody like that I think that they're just going to rely a lot on that physicality and on effort and and things like that because frankly defense it's it's effort, you know. That's the cliche that people always say, but for the most part, you have to have some sort of physical tools. And I think that this team is going to struggle to be elite defensively until they bring in guys like that. But absolutely, physicality and intensity and just focus or attention on on defense will definitely go leaps and bounds. But even then, we're talking about a team that hopefully is is middle of the pack when it comes to to defensive rating and things like that. That's that's really how far they can hope to be with this current group of guys, in my opinion. I, I think until they really address the problem of of the personnel that they have, I don't think they'll really ever find themselves to be a plus defensive team. I have to think the same. Like 24th in defensive rating last year, they honestly were shit. They were terrible. They were like, so bad. They had moments of being okay, right? Yeah. Like, and there's bright spots. Like Davion Mitchell, obviously best defender on the team. I don't even think it's really mm-hmm. close. Nope. Kessler Edwards was fine. Both of those guys have offensive deficiencies. Kessler more so than Davion. And I thought Davion's shot looked really good in that game mm-hmm. against Toronto. But yep. I'm gonna wait to you know feel great about it. It's one game. He made two threes. He only did that 15 times all of last season. Yeah, you told me that this morning, worth. and I cannot. Kind of wild. Don't believe it. I still don't believe it. That's insane. Yeah. So it's good to see it going down. He's confident. Um, let to stick it on the defense to start. We're gonna get to Sasha, but obviously he's not he has to survive there, but we'll get to Sasha. But Crystal Arte is somebody that's interesting to me here. Yeah. You know, they've they've talked a lot about his two way potential. Obviously not a great first showing against Toronto. Um, shot horribly and just yeah. looked like he was lost. And I think that's normal and fine. Yep. That's just gonna be a process. But defensively, like We've talked about this before, but your closing lineup, you know, is Fox, one of Herder or Monk, Barnes, Murray, Sabonis, and the shooting guard, whether that is Herder or Monk, is the liability, the primary liability Mm -hmm. in those lineups. You know, that's the guy, one of those two, whichever one it is, that opposing teams are going to be like, give me that guy on a switch, and they're probably going to do okay, right? The offense that's going up against that. I think if you slide Duarte in there, you don't have any stoppers defensively in that lineup, but you also might be able to avoid having those weaknesses or like yeah. those big liabilities. So that interests me a little bit, but I don't think that it's going to be the most common for him to close games or anything like mm-hmm. that. It, it probably, I mean, it's going to be super rare really is yeah. my guess. But when you see him, you know, joining this team, how much of a difference can, a guy like that potentially make defensively because mm-hmm. you know we don't, we don't know exactly where he's going to be at in the rotation right yeah no i mean i i think the the big question with that situation that scenario you just laid out of of will duarte be the guy that they look to go to those closing lineups because of the defense is is can he be a positive defensive like can he be not just better than kevin herter and malik monk not just you know, average level, can he be an actual plus defender? Because you're going to have to play a balancing act there of he still might be the guy that people go after, even if he's not as bad as Kevin Herter or as Malik Monk, he still might still be the guy that people go after. And it might not be worth the balancing act of, uh, or the risk reward of putting him out there. And you might as well get some of the, the benefits of having those other guys on the offensive end. But I, I definitely think when you look at, the, again, you know, I, I just laid out the the personnel being a big part of the the defensive problem. If you look at the guys that the Kings brought in this offseason, Chris Duarte is the guy that that you point to and say, hey, maybe that guy can be the difference. Maybe that guy, not necessarily, you know, a, a complete game changer, but he can be somebody that that is brought in that's actually a plus on defense. And, and you just hope that you know, you can, he, he's a bigger guy, you know, he's listed as a shooting guard, but he's still six, six, you know, in, in this day and age, you can definitely scoot up to the three at that size. And 
I think it's really just a, a hope that he can be um, uh, he can be a better defender, or if you need to throw out a higher, uh, a better defensive lineup, he's a guy that you can look to. But I, I still need to see it with him. I think you look at his, you know, defensive ratings with him on the floor. There's nothing uh, statistically that really says that that he should be that guy. But you look at his profile, and you look at, uh, you know, if you watch the tape on him defensively, he gives a good enough effort to where you feel like with Mike Brown and the attention to detail that he has on that end, he could be a player that maybe becomes a, a plus on defense. Yeah, at one point this offseason, I was kind of asking somebody about Sasha, and they mentioned, you know, everybody always asks about Sasha, but nobody's talking about right. Duarte. And the potential two-way him back he could have, you know, talking mm-hmm. about him being pretty smooth offensively, um, a little dribble happy at times, sure. which I think we saw in that first game. And I think we're just, you know, that's how he is as a player. But that also means that he can put the ball on the deck a little bit. It's just about yep. picking the right times to do it. And it'll be interesting to to see how he continues to evolve. I don't really give a shit about the performance in Toronto. Yeah. Do, you, do you care at all about what? Nope, not a showed? single thing. Literally yeah. not a single thing. I mean, it was good that Sasha looked like he was comfortable enough. Um, but no, for the most part, the results, not really much of anything. Right. And then the next guy, a lot of people, you know, potential defensive improvement, JaVale McGee. You know, yeah. we got the, uh, the big secret, the great adventure. Pierre, Big Daddy Wookie, JaVale McGee out here. The big secret's not bad. That's not bad. The big secret's pretty good. He's not very secretive, though. It's not. No, it doesn't really fit his name, but I like the the tag of it. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I'm going to have to ask him about the origin of this Big Daddy Wookie thing. It's going to be an awkward thing, but curious. So I want to start with this. Better be sure here's the Wookiee part. Facts. Facts. <laughs> <laughs> just like, yo, I, so, so why crazy. do you call you Big Daddy? Uh, nah. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. No thanks. Uh, I want to start with this with Javale. Dallas really needed a big last year. A yeah. big. Day. So much so that they traded for Rashawn Holmes this offseason. Yes. Yes. Like, yeah, exactly. And Javale played 355 minutes last year. For reference, Rashawn Holmes played 348. Chemezi Metu played 689. So Metu almost played twice as many minutes as JaVale McGee. The year prior with the Suns, he played 1,172, which is not bad. More than Terrence Davis, less than Trey Lyles last year. I think that is sort of the range that is probably where I'm at right now is like an expectation for the amount of minutes he'll play. I don't know. You mentioned Rashawn and how they've pretty much just swapped places. I yes. think I didn't think and don't think Rashawn's just bad at basketball, and that's why he couldn't play last year. Yeah, I, I think agree. he did not fit in the system. You know, his strengths are pick and roll, a guy that can playing with a guard or a initiator that can set him up for his, you know, mm-hmm. patent pending hook shot, as Doug Christie would always push say. Shot. Push shot. Thank you. Sorry. Um, and I think you could say the same thing about JaVale that you know, you can find reasons to believe that he'll be a lot better in this system, specifically mm-hmm. in the open court, right? Kings play with a whole lot of pace. JaVale's a good finisher and specifically a lob threat. They didn't really have a lob threat on this team last year. Shemezi Matu was the one. Yep. And yep. so, and, and he was pretty good at that. And him and Malik connected a good bit of times. But before we go to the offense, like defensively, you know, there's a lot of made about his block numbers and the Kings don't really care about blocks. It's about deterring shots rather than actually getting your hands on them. But I don't know. What do you make of, oh, well, now the Kings got a rim protector. Yeah, I mean, it, it's nice. Um, it's it's They have a goalie at the net now that can swap balls away on occasion. I guess, you know, maybe you, you hope that like you said, it's more important to the Kings that he's more of a shot deterrent. You know, they they want you to think twice before you get in there. But um, something I've been kind of workshopping this past month or so is I just feel like the the whole JaVale McGee will be the defensive savior thing is is it's just it's it's like putting a Band-Aid on what the problem actually is. It's it's like to me the the actual problem is the perimeter defense and and the fact that you know Mike Brown harps every single practice. I heard him pra- harp on it earlier today about not allowing 
middle drives, and yet this team, for whatever reason, just allows them at, at will. Um, to me, it's it's they need to solve the perimeter defense, which almost goes to our first conversation. Um, they need to solve that issue before they they think that they can solve the problem of people just getting layups and, and finishing at the rim higher than against any other team in the NBA. They haven't f- solved that issue by bringing in JaVale McGee. It'll it'll be nice. There'll be things that fans notice, like you know the same reason why why fans were um, excited by Hassan Whiteside and and him coming in as a rim protector. It's kind of the same thing. Um, just in terms of the rim protection, I agree with everything you said on the offensive end. I think offensively, he's going to be a really fun player, a really useful player for this team. Um, but defensively, I'm, I'm a little bit less sold on him being a really big fix and someone who, like, I, I don't think he's – I like, I to me, I think he plays sp- not sparingly, but just I, I don't think he's a, a solidified every single game rotation guy. I think – it's still going to be a a pick and choose based off of matchup thing, but when he does play, I think he'll he'll be a he'll be a very exciting player to watch, whether it be positive or negative. You'll you'll always notice Javale out there, especially when he's playing with Malik. Um, oh by the way, God. you're getting a little robotic on me here and there. If you could check really? your cord, um, okay. just a tiny bit, but gotcha. Yeah, I think I agree with you defensively. Um, what you said of there's just loud moments pretty much both yeah. good and bad with JaVale. I think that goes on both ends of the floor. Like you got to, I, I think the Toronto game again, while I don't really care was a decent representation of like the JaVale McGee experience, you know, where there's some moments where you're like, damn, that was really nice. And then others where it's like, damn, you really just fouled that three point shooter yeah. or you just tried Threw to shut that inbound and it just went left. straight out. Yeah, you know, but that's just going to be part of the experience. That's yeah. who JaVale is. You live with it, right? And I think that Malik is kind of the same way. There's For more sure. good than bad with Malik, but he has some moments where you're just like, wow. And that comes with being willing to try things. So there's positives, but they're going to be very entertaining, but erratic at the same time. Sometimes that'll be great. Other times that will leave you scratching your head. And just to talk about their their pick and roll a little bit. I mean, you saw it. They ran it twice right when the second unit came out there. Got a lob mm-hmm. on one. JaVale had this lefty finish and one, I think, af- on the second one that was really smooth. Having that log- lob threat is going to be big. You know, um, De'Aaron Fox talked about it today. And the quote I have is, uh, quote, Malik was one of the best pick and roll guys in the league. And JaVale's an extreme vertical threat. So I think that does nothing but help, obviously, Malik. And it helps us as a whole. While JaVale is rolling, Guys have to tag them or else it's going to be a lob fest the entire time that makes our offense even that much more yeah. dynamic, end quote. And that's so, spacing, man. That's all like, yep. I mean, De'Aaron, he's he's viewing that as, well, yeah, I mean, if I run a pick and roll with JaVale, if you're not tagging him, that means, or if you even if you, if you are going to tag him, which you should, if not, you're going to get lobbed on. If you got to tag him, that means you're going to give De'Aaron all this room in front to work with. It's you could imagine how De'Aaron, Malik, even even Davion, you you could hope that it's just going to open a lot of things up for those guys. And if the tagger is coming from the corner, there's going to be a shooter. It's all shooters right. for the rest yep. of the guys, you know. So I see it. I'm pumping the brakes a little bit on the JaVale hype because I think he's yeah. good as a backup center. Well, I'm not sure, to be honest, but I don't think that you know, the backup center was a spot that needed to be improved. And obviously yeah. they think that's happened. You know, Monty McNair at media day when asked about, you know, waving Nimi and Nerlens was pretty blunt and saying, well, we didn't think a center of JaVale's caliber was going to become available. And we wanted to let those guys get a little opportunity to see if they stuck somewhere else. So obviously they really like him. Backup center was something that needed to be figured out, but they didn't get killed in those minutes. And we're really talking about 12 minutes a game. So we'll see how much of an impact it actually makes, but it's good to have him. He's also a vocal leader. We saw him after the first day of training camp, you know, Darren Fox said a little something at the end when all the guys are kind of huddled up and then JaVale added on top. So you're already seeing him be pretty vocal. I don't think really he knows how to be any right. other way at this not, point no. in his career. And I think that's a good thing. Um, yeah. I really guy, liked what he said too. Yeah. Sorry to cut you off. No, there, but I really liked what he said uh, after that practice as well. I just thought that was like a, a quintessential moment of, of just veteran leadership. And like, you know, there's not many guys who are quote unquote veterans on this team. It's really just 
HB and JaVale. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was just cool to hear JaVale really tell the guys like, hey, essentially be quiet while doing drills because you don't know if you're throwing off the guy that you're talking to and, and you don't know if he needs to properly process the drill. And while, you know, you might think you're helping him, he really just kind of needs to be in his zone. And that's just that's not really something that you're going to you're going to hear a lot from a lot of guys. You know, Mike Brown talked about tons last year about how, you know, he he felt like his voice was getting stale and he was really calling on Domas and Fox to to be more vocal. And to me, I mean, that's that's exactly why JaVale is, is on this team is is for moments like that and throughout the year to have a lot more moments like that. Yeah, it probably kind of replaces like Delhi's vet leadership. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Obviously a different role, um, but three-time champ, three-time champ, man. So, yeah, the other guy, obviously, Sasha, Sasha Vazenkov, reigning EuroLeague MVP, a lot of hype, and I think it's warranted. I've been uh, very much part of the ones hyping up Sasha, and I think it's there offensively. I think you got a little taste of it in that game against Toronto. Shoots the shit out of the ball, breaking yep. their their shooting records. They have some drill that goes to 150, and it's not just all spot ups. It's different types of threes. I think Sasha got 137, I believe it was, Something and like that. that is a organizational record. And by the way, Jordan Ford and Keon Ellis were the next two, not too far behind that number, I will say. Um, and Demonis Sabonis was far and away last place on their shooting drill. Um, just to throw that out here. there, it's fine. You know, yeah, exactly. That's not his strength. You know, you don't expect that. No, so, but when it comes to Sasha. We've talked enough about, you know, what we think he can do, right? But I think his role needs to be talked about a little bit and mm -hmm. kind of the the highlight of the conversation right now because he brings everything offensively, I think. Like, complete game. It's not just the shooting. The yeah. cutting's great. I think the passing's interesting. He's just a really high IQ player. Mm -hmm. Defensively, what we've heard time and time again, it's just like teams are going to pick on him. Yep. And can he survive? Yep. Not a great start yesterday. Nope. Coach Brown today said his defense was um, at best. At best, okay, I yes. believe is what the quote yeah, was. Yeah, I got the quote somewhere in here. Uh, yeah, his defense against Toronto, the quote, his defense against Toronto was at best, okay. He gave up middle a couple times and we're a no middle team. He's got to keep the ball on the sideline and then he's got to make sure that he continues to understand the league. So he's got to watch as much film as he can on guys that he may match up against so that he can try to pick up on their tendencies sooner rather than later. Hmm. I mean, Sasha, since day one, since he came in, was talking about how this was going to be a process. Yeah. This is a guy that has gone to like, this might be the third or fourth time in his career that he's gone to a quote unquote better team mm -hmm. and taken a lesser role at the beginning of that transfer. You know, yeah. he went from a lower level Greek league team to then I think he went to Barca for a little while came back to and played a lesser role and then eventually made his way onto Olympiacos where he had a lesser role and then you know continued to slowly work his way up and I think that's exactly what we're going to see like right now it looks like he is part of the third string quote unquote and coach also said that could change at any point um yeah you know, he specifically said that, you know, like Duarte could go down to the third unit and Sasha mm -hmm. could come up to the second. Like the first unit, he said, is pretty much set unless yeah. there's something crazy that changes. Somebody's amazing or somebody's not get cutting it. Um, but first unit, pretty much set. No surprise. But the second and third are, you know, pretty fluid. Yep. And I think right now, like Trey Lyles should be ahead of Sasha for sure. You've mm -hmm. seen it. He's in the system. And Sasha, Sasha being third string last night is fine. It's just going to be a little bit of a process. And again, I know I've hyped him up, but just give it time. He's learning the NBA game. He's getting used to being in the U.S., which I think is an aspect of this. And he's getting used to all his teammates, a new scheme and everything. So I think it's just going to take a little bit of time. I did and do expect him to be more than third string, to be honest. Um, but... Just just give it a little bit. And, and the one other quote I'll add before I throw it to you is what he what Coach Brown specifically said about his potential role. I don't know why I'm not finding it here, but pretty much said that he could be out of the rotation to start. Here we go. 
quote, I don't know if he will be or not. And he's talking about in the rotation to start the year. He's just got to keep fighting his behind off and get better with every opportunity that he gets, whether it's in practice and shoot around and or in the game End quote. And Sasha has been saying the same shit. It's yeah. just going to be a process, right? Like, do you, do you think what, how they're approaching this is understandable? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like we can't forget that not only is this guy like adjusting to, uh, you know, a new basketball team, a new system, new teammates, but like he also moved his entire life uh, across the country or across the map, even across the world. Um, so it, it needs to be a slow process for him. You need to make sure that you're not giving him too much too soon. It's a lot easier to baby feed him, make sure that he's you know, you would much rather have him come along slowly and just absolutely blow through all the benchmarks that you're having for him. Make sure he's prepared for proper success because especially with these European guys, like a lot of the times, obviously Sasha's 28, so this doesn't really hyper apply to him. But with, with European guys who are a lot younger, what happens is you give them a lot, they get overwhelmed, and then it just absolutely murders their confidence. They feel like you know they already were questioning whether or not they would be good enough to play in this league, and then uh, you throw them in again, give them too much too soon, and they just feel like their confidence is just killed, and they never really recover. And and obviously, again, Sasha's an older guy, so he, he he's very confident in his own skin. He very much knows who he is, not only as a person, but especially as a basketball player. He knows what he's good at. But you want to make sure that his first experience in the NBA is a positive one. And, and you want to make sure that when he comes in, he comes in playing with full confidence because that's what that's really what Mike Brown preaches just as in total with his team. Like when he talks about shooting, he doesn't want you pump faking. He doesn't want you turning a, a wide open three down. He wants you to always play feeling like you're ready to make the biggest play of the game. And and I think Sasha's, I don't think they're really concerned that he's going to have confidence issues, but I, I just think that this is really making sure that he doesn't get overwhelmed by the process. And, you know, what what's really the rush? Like, let's not forget that game one of last year, KZ Akpala was a starter and how quickly that changed. So, you know, just because Sasha might be you know, in the third unit right now. And when the season starts, he might be only getting eight to 12 minutes. That doesn't mean that throughout this year or even, you know, two weeks from the start of the season that he won't be a, a, a bigger fixture in the league. So I, I think it's just preach, preach patience. And I think uh, Sasha, as, as you know, and every single time a mic is put in front of his face, he's always preaching patience and essentially again, getting better every day and, and taking the most of, of this opportunity. I think that last part's the most important thing. Like as long as they're on the same page and it yeah. seems like they are, then it's all good. Yeah. And that's pretty much where I'm at with that third string point guard. And to, you know, continue to overreact to rotations we've seen in training camp. But I think it was a question for me. I expected them to bring in another point guard. We're talking about De'Aaron Fox, Davion Mitchell as the established two. After that, asked Coach Brown about it the other day. He said that he thinks Jordan Ford is a third guard, has proven that he's a third guard in this league. Like to hear that. And I could see that. I, I think that Jordan's played well. He also hasn't really played in the NBA. So, for mm -hmm. what it's worth, a lot of time in the G Did League. Did he say in third guard league. in this league or on this he did team? say in this league. I yeah, like to hear for that. For what I it's worth. That, yeah. And he also mentioned, you know, the nice thing is that they got two young guys that he thinks are going to get some opportunity to do that sooner rather than later. Talking about mm -hmm. Keon Ellis and Colby Jones. And we saw Keon be that guy in the third string in that Toronto game. Yep. Not the greatest. Not great. I don't think he's a point guard. I think that yeah. he, you know, has started to, that was one of his biggest developments last year in my mind was his playmaking, put the, putting the ball on the floor. This is a guy that was about even, I forget it was like three or four more in one direction or the other, but was about even assist to turnover ratio during his time at Alabama, his last year. So that's just not typically his strength. You know, he could continue to develop as a one, which, you know, honestly, if he could play the one, I think that'd be better for him defensively because he's more that size than he is like a two, three. Yeah. But that's going to take a little bit of time and wasn't the greatest. Today, going into practice, again, overreacting to who's wearing what pennies. Mm -hmm. But Jordan Ford was wearing third string, mm -hmm. and Keon Ellis was wearing fourth string. And we haven't seen Colby Jones really play the one. He's kind of just been alongside Keon in that third unit. Yeah. Or today, alongside Jordan in that third unit. How do you feel about 
those being the options we're talking about for third string point guard. And is there any guy that stands out to you? Yeah, I mean, I, I like I like the idea of them trying this out with Jordan Ford. I mean, obviously the story is is so great. And uh, you know, I, I I'm born and raised in Sacramento, so I've kind of I'm I'm right around Jordan's age, so I've kind of followed his entire career. And so I'm I I'm kind of very biased in this conversation, but you know, kind of taking those glasses off and speaking objectively, like yeah, I would kind of like it if if they were to bring in a, a, a veteran or, or or a guy who's a little bit more proven. I think it's it's just where where this team wants to be. If if they end up exceeding expectations and being a team that that might truly be in in competition for making in Western Conference Finals appearance, I think that they're going to need a. a another playmaker or another option to go to at that point guard position besides Davion Mitchell. And and I would ideally like to see that, like I would have liked to see instead of them throw all of those offers at Scalabissier and Nerlens Noel, and then eventually JaVale, I would have liked to see one of those thrown at, at a veteran guard, but for the most part, it's, it's fine. And, you know, I, I again, I, I, it's not that I don't believe in Jordan. I think he, he's got potential to be something, but, um, I would have liked to see that spot thrown somewhere else, but with the, with those two being the options, I, I like Jordan as much better than Keon as that third guard. I, I think you're right. Keon, we've, we've been watching Keon pretty intensely, probably more intensely than, than most throughout his career. And he definitely, his defense is, is out of this world. And you know, that he, he's an NBA ready defender today, but it, it's just trying to find a spot for him on the offensive end. And it, to me, it feels like he's, He's a two guard, but he's way, way too skinny to ever play uh, two in this league. And I, I just don't know how he would ever get his offense going. So I'm, I'm OK with Jordan being the backup or the, the third string three. But I, I feel like there's better options out there if this team wants to get serious in the second part of the season. I think the same. And it could be one of those situations where it's like one of Fox or Davion goes down for, you know, it's going to be a couple weeks. Then it's like, OK. You know, say Jalen Noel is the last guy on the roster. Like, all right, maybe we cut ties from Jalen Noel and we go out and talk to, a, I don't know, just throw names out there, Goran Dragic or George Hill, you know, or Isaiah Thomas. Right. These are all like older vets, Quinn obviously. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, not super worried about it, but I certainly expected them to address it more than they did mm-hmm. is what it is. I think it's fine. Yeah, very much so. Um, it's okay. And I really think that if this something happens mid game, you got to like really figure it out on this fly. Mm-hmm. Malik Monk, probably Malik Monk. Exactly. Yeah. Other news before we get to the NBA GM survey, uh, Jeremy lamb was waived and they hope that he is going to head to Stockton. And I kind of heard initially that it's cool. I get to say that shit now. Um, mm-hmm. I heard initially boy. that right. Fucking out here, bro. Uh, <laughs> that Stockton was kind of always the plan. Mm-hmm. And I thought that, you know, they could have let him get a little bit more run with the group, but yeah, it sounds like Stockton was kind of always the idea. And I think that's fine. You know, there's yep. a, they're going to be decent. They were the one seed last year they're gonna be really or they were the one team last year. They did lose in the first round of the playoffs. Single elimination basketball is chaos. You never wow. know what's going to happen with that shit. But Lindsey Harding taking over. We got Keon Ellis, Jalen Slauson, Jordan Ford, James Akinjo, I think is the guy they traded yeah. for, which, you know, last offseason they traded a pick or two in the G League draft to get Deontay Burton. Mm-hmm. And he ended up being all right, obviously. This year they go trade for James Akinjo. He's like a six foot, six one point right. guard, played at Baylor with Jeremy Sohan and Kendall Brown. And I think flirted with leading the team in points, was second, led the team in assists. He's a solid college player. See what he does. Uh, he played with the Worcester Knicks last year. So Stockton will be interesting. But with Lamb gone, leaves the team sitting at 20. Yeah. And they got to get it down to 18. If you include the three two ways. And feel safe to say, you know, one of Noel, Burton, or Comanche is what we're talking about here. Yes. And I, I would say, I would guess that Noel probably has the inside track. I would, I would be, I would almost say shocked if it's not Noel. 
I just feel like Comanche is is still a G League guy. I don't really see a lot of NBA promise with him. And then uh, Burton is kind of, I don't know, he just feels like a hustle guy. And, you know, maybe if he has a, a really good I, – I don't know how well he did in camp. I haven't heard much from, from his performance in camp. But maybe if he shines in the preseason, there's a chance. But I, I feel like w- with Noel having – like actual NBA, if he hasn't a basketball reference page that you can go to and see numbers, uh, he averaged 10 points in the league granted, you know, on a lot of shots, but he's somebody who's played, you know, three seasons of actual NBA basketball. And it just feels like he's probably the route that I would suggest. I think the same age wide, age wise, he also fits a little bit better, right? Burton's 29, Noel's 24. Um, I'm not really inspired by like anything Noel really does. I kind of think he's just like a worse Terrence Davis. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, which is saying something, uh, Burton, by the way, first year in the league played 32 games for OKC second year, 39 for OKC. And then only two games last year. Um, obviously when OKC was not trying to win basketball games for what it's worth. But I think that he's got an outside shot. I think to me, Comanche is uh, the last one. And, you know, that I think he was fine last year for Stockton. He was actually really good and a big part of their success. But just with the bigs on the roster, I think it makes more sense to go with one of these guard wing sort of guys. And it could be none of them. You could just leave the spot open. We're talking about, you know, needing a third string guard or like I think OKC still has to cut. Um, I think the expectations are like Jack White, J- Jamera, or geez, J- Robinson Earl. Why am I messing up his first name? Uh, Jerome. Think uh, no, <laughs> no. Um, whatever. Jeremiah Robinson Earl. I think it is. Uh, I, I don't know why I just blanked on that, but yeah. Um, he's interesting to me, and so it, you know, Victor Oladipo maybe. Not, not really doing it for me, but you know, that's just cuts that one team are going to make, but potentially make or have to decide on. And there's going to be other guys around the league that you could maybe just leave a spot if you wanted to do that. Um, right. For sure. Worth noting Comanche was the only guy that did not play in yeah, definitely the game in that. Toronto. Um, 20 people played and he did. I'll not. say I, I didn't see him on the bench yeah. for what it's worth. Didn't even see him on the bench. Oh, Interesting. Yeah, so take that for what you will. I don't think, like, don't read too much into that, but just, I did not see him there. Um, Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see where this last cut ends up going. The last thing I want to go through with you, NBA GM survey just dropped, and this is always a fun one. This is my favorite thing of the year. Every single year this thing drops, and every year it's just content gold. I will definitely be talking about this a lot tomorrow on the show. As you should, Yeah, as you should. 10 to 2, Chris and Co. Chris and Co. I'm going to just control F Sacramento and go through every time they're mentioned just for fun here. That's right, a lot And we'll get your reactions. Yep. Western Conference rankings. Okay. Yeah. And for clarity, this is all the GMs in the league do a vote. I believe they're not allowed to vote for their own guys uh-huh. in any sort of way, which will come up a little bit later. GMs responded to 50 questions about the best teams, players, coaches, offseason moves. General managers were not p- permitted to vote for their own team or personnel. Percentages then, are based yeah. off the pool of respondents to a particular to that particular question, yeah. rather than all thirty GMs. Yes, and also it's important to note that like, if a question in this is who is the best center in the NBA, it might be like everybody's voting for the best center, so Sabonis might not get a single vote for that, but that's only because. You know, not Nikola Jokic and Joel yeah. Embiid exist. It's not like the MVP where it's like, oh, this is my first option, my third option, my fifth option. You know, so. Agreed. Agreed. So to start, and by the way, this is NBA.com, uh, John Schumann. Shout out to John. Shout out, John. Western Conference rankings. The Sacramento sit tied at seventh. They got 14, 13% of the votes for fourth place. Mm. And... The teams above them, in order, Denver, Phoenix, L.A. Lakers, Golden State, L.A. Clippers, Memphis, and then they are tied with New Orleans for seventh. Oof. Worth noting, New Orleans got 3% of the fourth-place votes, and Sacramento got 13th. Oh, okay. What do you think of that sort of range for them? Um, 
I've been thinking that that's just, I mean, it, it just feels like the Kings are being slept on again. Um, I understand that, you know, those other markets are a lot bigger than, than what we have here in Sacramento. But um, just when you factor in continuity, the fact that this team already had success last year and there's so much, they, they just have legitimate depth. And a lot of the, the other teams in the Western conference, just a don't have depth and B don't have continuity. There's a lot of new, you know, even in Phoenix or almost especially in Phoenix, you know, you have those three top guys trying to figure out how to play with each other, but also figuring out that rotation is going to take some time. Um, it just in general with the Western Conference, it feels like people are are just looking more at storylines, most important or most appealing storylines, as opposed to on the floor who's actually the best team. And I, I do you feel the same? Like I, I feel like for a while, for most of this summer, I was almost tempering expectations, being like, okay, there's a chance that this season isn't as fun or or as as you know, fruitful as last year, but it, it might be better in their progress. But I don't know. I feel like the pendulum has almost swung so much that that nobody is giving the Kings the credit of the success they had last year. And it's just overblowing all of these new fun storylines. Like, how can you realistically think that the the Warriors after the Kings in a seven game series look like the better team and then they get significantly older? I don't know how you can. And, well, they and, did lose. They did lose. They definitely lost. They definitely lost that series. I've I've watched it a couple times. The Kings <laughs> that series, but I, I just I don't know. I mean, yeah, the Warriors might not be the best example, but I I just feel like there's a lot of people out there who are just overlooking the Kings in general, and I'm trying yeah. to not be biased about it. No, I think that's fair. Um, I don't think it's like ridiculous to put them at seven. I just said this on Kings beat, but I think that like. I imagine that a lot of the conversation this year is going to be just like, well, just make sure you stay out of or you stay in the top six, stay out of the plane. Right. I think that's kind of what we're going to be talking about a lot. They could be fighting. We could be talking about, okay, just, you know, do that, but like really focusing on no, get top four, you know, get a home seed. So I don't hate it. I am going to have to do power rankings. Not going to have to. It was my idea uh, throughout the course (laughs) of this year. I say going to have to, because it's, uh, a tall task sometimes and really yeah. hard at the beginning of the year, especially mm-hmm. like, you know, all of the Pacific division teams are above Sacramento here, which is funny, right? Considering they that's won the division last year. Right. But I don't know. I, I get the optimism around some of these other teams and I get the skepticism around what Sacramento did last year, like extremely healthy, you know? And of course right. you always have to add Domas played with a broken hand, broken thumb, mm-hmm. the like pretty much the entire year. And people were dealing with stuff, but I get it. I get it is what I'll say for now. I still and, think if we're talking regular season, like I don't think anything changes from this and last year. The fact that the Kings actively want to win regular season games yeah. and teams like the Lakers, especially after the success they had last year as a lower seed teams like the Warriors. Um, I, I just have a hard time believing that those teams are going to give much care to the regular season. That is very fair. Um, next mention of the Sacramento Kings. And this is who, what was the most underrated player acquisition? And just to start at the top, we got Marcus Smart, Memphis, 17%. Grant Williams, Dallas, 14%. And then five guys tied for third. Dylan Brooks to Houston, Bruce Brown to Indiana, Yosef Nurkic to Phoenix, Max Struess to Cleveland, Fred Van Fleet to Houston. And then there's this whole also received votes. Yeah. And second to last mentioned is Sasha Vizenkov. So this could mean (laughs) he got one vote. Yeah. We don't know. But That's exactly somebody thought means. that Sasha Vizenkov was the most underrated player acquisition. And this is Which not the tells you how underrated it is. Truly true facts. He's you know? underrated at being underrated, bro. Right. That's exactly. Crazy. That's He's that's like, kind of like a ridiculous thing to ask, you know, like if, if someone's going to be the highest rated underrated signing, then they're kind of by virtue, no longer underrated. True. True. That's boring. and again, it's important to note. This couldn't have been Monty McNair. You know, this was somebody else. And that also comes into fact here when the next time a king is mentioned is who will win the 2023-24 Rookie of the Year? Mm. Victor Wembanyama, San Antonio, 50%. Scoot Henderson, mm. 27%. Chet Holmgren, my vote, 20%. And Sasha Vazenkov, the last <laughs> player mentioned, 3%. That's 3%. crazy. 
three percent, which I guess what is that? Uh, is that one? That's what I was trying to think. I was trying to do the math. I think that's yeah. Um, I would say that's probably I one. That's I literally mean, if, one. If there's thirty GMs and then twenty nine of yeah. them count, one. And yeah, that's that's probably like shout one out GM. to that guy. He probably you know has some weird connection to Sasha. It's the same dude who voted apparently on the other. True, true. <laughs> it, it must be actually. It definitely huh? was. It definitely was. It's got to be. I mean, um, look if you're if you're heading to Reno, you're you're heading to Nevada or whatever. Like for sure, definitely. If you're a Kings fan, crazy. Put some. Uh, you know, I'm not advocating to gamble or where to put your money, but put your money on Sasha Fizankov <laughs> for Rookie of the Year because it's going to be a fun ride. I mean, it. it Definitely, for very obvious reasons, might not win. And Sasha definitely has, uh, I guess, pun intended, a tall, ta- a couple tall tasks in front of him if he wants to earn that award. But it's not out of the realm of possibility. Like there is a world this year where Sasha averages. Ah, uh, you know what? Actually, it, it kind of is because Sasha is really at, at peak. Like if I'm being the most optimistic person, it feels like. 13 to 14 points is like a hard cap for where Sasha can be. And those other guys, especially like Scoot or Wemby, you know, with their team situations, they can definitely be up in the 18 to 20 range. It's minutes, right? Right. It seems pretty wild. Um, Next one we got up, but I do love that he got a shout out. That was maybe the funniest part of this whole thing to me. Which head coach runs the best offense? Number one, Mike Brown. Sacramento Kings, 33%. Two, you go to Steve Kerr, Golden State, 23. Third, Michael Malone, Denver, 17%. And then you got Chris Finch and Rick Carlisle at the bottom there as well. Also receiving votes, Nick Nurse and Quinn Snyder. Hmm. Pretty easy one, right? Like, they just kicked ass. Most efficient offense in NBA history. I mean, be tough not to vote it. What I like is this next one. Which head coach has the best defensive schemes? Eric Spolcher, 40%. Taylor Jenkins, 13. Thibodeau, 13. J.B. Bickerstaff, 7. Tyron Lue, 7. Frank Vogel, 7. Also receiving votes. Again, could mean one vote. Mike Brown in Sacramento, along with Mark Bashanal, Joe Mazzula, Nick Nurse. But I love that he got shouted out on the defensive end, at least a little bit, because, you know, originally a defensive guy. Well, what is that also saying about, again, to tie in the conversation that we had previously, what's that saying about the personnel? Yeah. If somebody, if so, or what does that True. GM at least think about the personnel? They're, <laughs> They're like, like, shit, he got him to twenty fourth. <laughs> this is not Mike's fault. Okay, he's running, and that's again to to reiterate the first point. This is not a one, two, three. This is Mike Brown. Is they're saying Mike Brown is running the best stuff in the league, and they're still twenty fourth. That's crazy. Yeah, you have a damn good point for sure. Poor guy. Next Poor up, guy. who's the best assistant coach in the NBA? Oh yeah, we got we got all of them. Jordy Fernandez, thirty-one percent. Number one, number two, Terry Stotts at ten percent, and Kevin Young in Phoenix at ten percent. So Might two well guys put tied that for job second. Application up there now. Put it on Kings.com/slash/jobs right now. Kings Absolutely. assistant coach because that man is gone. Could be midseason. Could be midseason. <sighs> Don't say something like which that. you know is a uh, little. Yeah, they'd have Don't to figure that out. I'm sure that I'd imagine Luke Lauks would move to the front or maybe they'd let's not they'll, they'll find somebody else. Mike Brown's got a got a Rolodex of people Stop that it. love him. It seems Stop like it. also receiving votes in here. Do you know who this is? A different coach. It's got to be Jay, right? It is Jay, Jay Triano. Triano getting two shouts for the Jay best will. assistance. And you got Great. the best offensive uh, schemes and, and a shout defense. out for the best defensive. This fucking coaching staff is crazy, bro. Nuts. It's and nuts. we didn't even get to, like, we mentioned Luke Lauks. There's Davida Stolkies. There's, um, t- t- who's the tall? Why am I? Doug Christie. Doug Christie, for sure. Dutch, Dutch Gately is what I was missing. Um, and there's other guys you can go deeper, like Lindsey Harding, obviously yep. going to be moving to Stockton. Jimmy Alapang. I hope I sa- I'm saying yeah. your name right, my guy. Just got moved up. So, Coaching staff kicks ass in Sacramento, yep. and you definitely saw that last year. Um, it. It's another not. big advantage they have. Like honestly, like it's not really talked enough about, but yeah, I mean, they're the, the quality of coaches that they have on their bench is it's a huge, huge benefit. I mean, you could definitely argue that they have three head coaches 
uh, on their on their bench. Like their their top three guys are all three guys who are very very capable of being head coaches. And when you look at every single championship staff in the NBA, you look no further than where Mike Brown came from with Steve Kerr. Like who's sitting right next to him? Kenny Atkinson. Who's right next to him? I mean, he's got Willie Green and and other guys who have been around the league. It's what all these coaches do, and and that's where you know that's where you get the best coaching. It makes sense. Have as many good minds as possible on that bench, and those guys willing to join the bench says a lot about Mike Brown as well. Next one up, which team's the most fun to watch? Denver Nuggets thirty percent, Golden State Warriors twenty three, Sacramento Kings twenty, and then fourth Hmm. place Phoenix Suns at seven percent. So pretty easy one two three Denver Golden State Sacramento. Yeah. I mean, it lines up with the teams that got voted as the best offenses. Yep. But the crazy thing is, and like it's, I don't know if it's just a chicken or the egg situation, but the Kings don't really have, you know, that Hall of Fame guy at the moment. You know, like De'Aaron Fox, again, who knows? Maybe, maybe this is kind of the start of that trajectory. But, you know, when you think of the best offenses in the league or you think of the funnest teams to watch, the Warriors aren't up there because. They run, you know, the the free flowing offense that they used to. It's because Steph Curry is that guy, and and you know the Kings still amazes me that the Kings are are able to, and maybe that's why they have so many doubters. But the fact that they're able to be so productive without having those mega stars that it feels like you need in today's NBA is just it's it's crazy, and it's a huge again just a massive, um, you know, show show of how good Mike Brown really is. This next one is a huge shout out to the fan base and maybe one of my favorite ones on here. Uh, Which team has the best home court advantage? Number one, Denver, 37. Shocking, to be honest. Um, Golden State, 17%. And number three, Sacramento Kings, 13%. Don't check Um, the standings. Don't check the record. A lot of people heard how damn loud (laughs) Golden 1 got last year, bro. Like, the couple the literal couple, I think only two national games they got. The first one, Brooklyn gets smacked around. The crowd loved yes, it. Sir. And the next one was an extremely good game oh. against the Knicks. They got real loud as well. And then exactly what happened in the Lost playoffs, that first home that game, game that first home game, game one of the postseason, ending 17-year drought, that shit was loud. Bro. Crazy. And they do it every single night in Golden mm-hmm. 1 Center. So shout out Kings fans. Absolutely. Which team? We got two more. Which team will have the league's most efficient offense this season? Feels a little mm. repetitive to earlier questions, right. but yep. number one, Denver Nuggets, thirty-four percent. How? How sway? Mm, I don't know. I don't hate I was, it. I know. It's fine. I don't hate it. Two is Sacramento. Yeah, that's twenty-one percent. Three, Golden State, fourteen. Four, Boston at ten, tied for fifth. Milwaukee and Phoenix both with seven percent. That's fine. I think that, you know, Denver's probably the safer bet, right? Well, Sacramento's going to still be a kick-ass offense, but, like, yeah, you know, there could be sure. some injuries or things. and like. I mean, the Kings were the most efficient team in the NBA last year. Yeah, it's fair. It's fair. I get it. Last one. Which player is the fastest with the ball? I'm going to say last year. There were a couple years ago <laughs> the Aaron won this. There was, he's always, he's competed with, I think he's lost out to Russ a couple times. Last year, he lost to John Morant, who won this at 62%. Mm. This year, back in number one, De'Aaron Fox, 57%. Number two, Memphis, 37%. Also received votes, Kyrie Irving in Dallas and Jaden Ivey in Detroit. So, okay. Yeah. Wow, that was fast. That is it for the NBA GM survey always a fun one uh just to mess around yeah. with and i think the last thing uh before we do a quick little overtime is you know what are you hoping to see in these next preseason games what are you like just really watching for when it comes to preseason ball yeah i mean i'm gonna say sasha aside because i just feel like that's that's just the the most obvious thing. And I'm going to go with the second most obvious thing. And that's just, I mean, how, how Keegan continues to look like, you know, how much comfort um, does he have putting the ball on the floor? We saw the very first 
play of that preseason game uh, on Sunday. He put the ball on the deck and threw it down. That was great to see. Uh, there was that moment where he brought the ball down and and tried to, I guess, challenge Pascal Siakam, but but to initiate the offense. Uh, it, it's really going to be things like that because to me, I mean, it, it's been a big talking point since the Cal Classic, but you know, the way that this team kind of elevates and, and takes a leap that no one's expecting again is Keegan Murray taking a leap that not a lot of people expect to see. And so if, if he can just be more dynamic with his offense and, you know, to, to get to a Mike Brown term, be physical and find a physicality on, on defense to where he is a, a legitimate two-way piece. That would be nice to see, or at least start to see the 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 roots of that that development happen, I think would be a, a major positive to see for this preseason. So, I mean, you know, again, don't really want to take a, a lot from preseason basketball, but it's really just what are what are the roots that are being planted right now that you hope to potentially see, you know, flower throughout the season. It was there in game one, only one of five from three. And, but the one he made was gorgeous, um, insane off movement Four of five from two, though. You mentioned the two dunks, which I thought was great. Um, but then you got a lefty finish over a big off the glass and then a floater in there, too. And so I thought those were pretty encouraging to see already off to yeah. a good start there. And when it comes to tomorrow or not tomorrow, but it is tomorrow. Is that right? Yeah, it is tomorrow, Wednesday, when they play the Lakers. Yes, it is uh, tomorrow. Just going to go over some of the quotes from today. Uh, I'll, I'll just lay out De'Aaron's for what he said they're looking for tomorrow. Is quote, for us, just what we're doing defensively sure. and then the new wrinkles in our offense. Try to cut down on turnovers. Obviously, I think we missed a lot of bunnies last game. Not necessarily worried about that. But then defensively, the Lakers are one of the best transition teams in the league as well. So, how do we look as far as trying to not commit turnovers, not trying to give them easy baskets, and then um, even on make or miss shots, us getting back and just being able to guard the rim, uh, end quote. Transition defense was horrible against the Raptors. That was talked about a lot. 24 fast break points for the Raptors, and that was something the Kings were bad at last year, so we'll see if they're able to clean that up a little bit moving forward. And we're going to end with an overtime segment, you know, non-basketball related. It's a little get to know us, I guess. All right. So my question for you, Chris, is what's your go-to snack? I I've not cursed this whole episode. I can't fucking stand you, bro. I can't fucking what? stand you. Um, nothing. The, the getting to know you was just. Oh, that's, okay. okay. That's, that's <laughs> funny. You're a funny guy. There's a um, wild delay right now for some reason, uh, by the way, I, but my, we're going to power through. I know. Yeah, it. I know. Yeah, we're just going to power through it. Uh, you said, what's my favorite snack? Yes, go to snack. Oh, there is a wild delay. Yeah. Oh, man. I really wish I had a good answer for you. I'm going to say my go-to snack is... Honestly, you know what? This is such a bad answer, but this is very typical me. I like to just munch on cheese, bro. Like that might. Bro, I, I wish I didn't you can't phrase it take that way. My answer. That's I crazy. Really no way. <laughs> that's fucking <laughs> that's wild, wild. Actually, yeah, bro. like cheese sticks. Uh, like you know, just little little cheese squares. All that. Um, that's like if if I'm just, it's just easy. I think that's really what it is. That's so funny, bro. I literally had a square cheese right before we got on here. And I've been for the last like, I don't know, year, I've just been all about like my snack is like, I always just have some cheese in my fridge. I'm definitely like a white cheese. And I will say, you know, one of the more yeah. concerning things um, that I do probably is like, I'm not stringing a string cheese. I'm just biting that bro. Like stringing it is, I don't know, more effort. I like just mm. taking a bite out of it. That's some serial killer activity, my guy. That's yeah. that's not ideal. It is what it is. It is what it is. Who is the most likely um, Kings player to bite their cheese instead of stringing it? With this fun delay. Um, I would either say Keegan or 
JaVale because JaVale is just like, I don't follow social norms. I, I don't follow <laughs> what, what, you know, what, what people say when, when you say go right, I go left. I like the idea. I like the idea. I think those are good shouts. Um, that's going to do mm. it for this episode yeah. of the King Sports podcast. Um, appreciate everybody listening. Appreciate Chris for hopping on at Chris M Watkins, Chris and co 10 to two Monday to Friday. Be sure to tune in there. Sacktown Sports 1140. Uh, yeah, almost. Yeah. And mm-hmm. where I'm at now as well, sacktownsports.com for any of the writing there. And that's going to do it. You know, I will going to be keeping up these Kings Pulse throughout the course of the season. So appreciate everybody tuning in and hear from me again next couple days.